You're listening to the Sunday service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi. That last passage that Maria read from Hebrews, it um, mentions that Jesus, among many other things, he is our high priest. And that would remind the Christians who were back then the first ones to read that letter, of course, of the temple in Jerusalem. And the passage I want to read from the Gospel of Luke is happening from beginning to end, actually, in that temple. And that's at the very beginning, um, after Jesus' birth, one of these stories that only Luke tells us. Um, as I said, it plays all the time in the temple, and we want to ask a bit like, what does it mean, what is happening there? But let me first now read the passage, that's Luke 2, 22 to 40. That is the dedication of Jesus. Now, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So actually, there's two things happening. One was a law for the purification. So when women had been giving birth, then there was one reason to go somewhere to bring a sacrifice. The second one was to, to present the firstborn to the Lord. And then they do a third thing, they dedicate him, which is two different things, but a lot of things are going on. And Luke summarizes it in a few sentences. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons this tells us that Mary and Joseph were not very rich, maybe not poor, but they were not wealthy. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. That is a way of saying, I'm ready to die now. That's what Simeon really is saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage 
and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to that own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Lord, we thank you for this testimony that Luke has delivered to us of what happened on that day. And Lord, we ask you, help us see what you want us to see in these encounters that are happening there. What do you want us to take with us? What do you want us to apply to our lives? In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I have no slides for you, but I have a title. And the title would be Ways, Ways to Encounter God, Ways to Encounter Jesus. If Jesus is the center, how do we, how do we, how do we do that, that we, that we meet him, that we encounter him? And I want to look with you at these various persons that are uh, playing a role in that, in that account, Mary and Joseph, Simeon, and Anna, and, and simply ask the question, is there something that we can do that they're doing that would help us to encounter God? And don't forget, yes, this is Mary and Joseph. These are Jesus' parents. This is a very specific day. So, so none of us is Simeon. We don't have to compare ourselves with these saints and heroes. But then again, every person that is presented to us in the Bible and how they walk with God is usually there for us to learn something from it. So what can we learn from, from Mary and Joseph? What are they doing? There's these three different rites, actually, that they go to the temple to, uh, to do in keeping with the law. Purification, presentation, dedication. But, you know, that's actually not, not so important to go there. What um, I think was not said in this translation, but in some other translations, was that they were going up to Jerusalem. Um, and this is, of course, the way you have to do it. Jerusalem is on a hill. Today you would go up with a bus or a car, but back then you would have to walk. And that is why there is an expression in Hebrew, walking up to Jerusalem, and that's very literally moving out of the valley to the mountain. And that's actually um, very tiring to do that. And I was just thinking about this word, which means basically moving from a lower level to a higher level, geographically. And that involves sweat or some kind of effort you make. And I was wondering, what would that mean spiritually? How could this happen? You know, I go usually by bike to work and I'm always fed up that at the very end, after one hour on the bike, there's Tachtitorn in Maki. So, you know, I have been arriving there and then you're almost there and then you have to bike up a small hill. I've been growing up in hills, but still it's annoying. And you're a bit exhausted and you always wish you just could go there. But once you're there, once, you're, once I'm at work, once I get through the door, 
I'm completely relaxed and focused. And I love that feeling when you come in and you know, okay, now the work is over, now you can actually enjoy what you're going to do next. And I think that's, that's what we need spiritually as well. And spiritually, we don't have to walk, but we have to make a journey regularly in our hearts. A journey from the valley, which could present, you know, our everyday life, our work, our sorries, our worries, our questions, even our joys that might keep us away from actually encountering God. It might involve something much more difficult like walking up to Jerusalem or something far more difficult like biking up to Tartetorgenmake. It could involve turning off the phone, which is far more difficult, or your computer or whatever it is. But that is one thing that struck me and I was just thinking, it's, it's, it's just a walk that they're making. But every time that is mentioned, it has a spiritual significance. Because when we do that, when we leave behind what distracts us, when we make some effort, not to earn anything, but simply to be not distracted, because God is everywhere, he's also down in the valley, but it's us who are often keeping ourselves from realizing that. But once we make some effort, we leave things behind, we can encounter him, and then that might be where often we have surprises happen to us. Happened to Joseph and Mary. They enter the temple, have no other idea than, you know, doing what the law requires. They had no special plans for that day. And then among thousands of people, two people are meeting them. One of them is grabbing their baby. And I don't know how you would feel about it. I mean, I remember when we had our babies, when they were very small, you would be very protective of you know people coming and you know wanting to touch your child um, sometimes people have been coming to me and saying you know there's, there's this and this guy I don't know from what culture they're coming from but they're all the time taking our child away pastor can you tell them not to do that so I don't know how Mary and Joseph felt about it but it is clear that this is a divine encounter that is happening they've made the effort they've been coming to the temple they have been starting that journey with the sole purpose of appearing before the Lord, and God is doing something. I don't know if you can relate to some of these encounters in your own life. I've shared some of them. I've t twice in my life it happened in two huge cities that I met people that, you know, I hadn't seen in one case in 10 years from another country. And it was so clear that God was orchestrating, that he was behind it. But that happens maybe all the more often as we press into God's presence. So sometimes it's about walking up, leaving things behind. How do you apply that in your life? You know. You know your life best. If you're struggling with something that constantly distracts you from setting time aside to pray, to read the Bible, or maybe to go to someone else, pray about that. But then let's look at Simon, Simeon. Um, we don't know much about him, we don't know his age, we have no idea what his profession is, we have no idea about his status, we have no idea about whether he's rich or poor, all those things that we would you know, pay attention to, how old is someone, what's their job, what's their profession, are they successful, are they rich, are they making money with what they're doing, we don't learn any of these things, but then in one sentence, 
we learn much more about Simeon. He was righteous, devout, he was waiting, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It's just one verse, and I, I, I started thinking about what does it mean? How is Simeon, how is Simeon portrayed? How is he described like? What would people say about me and about you? If, if somebody would describe you, I was first asked, I was thinking I could ask my kids in one sentence to describe what I'm like, but I thought I'm asking them rather over dinner than before the service, um, just to be able to deal with everything that is coming my way. So um, let's see what they're saying about me. What would your kids say about you? What would be friends saying about you? Simeon is righteous. There's very few people in the Bible that are described with that word, that are literally described as being righteous. What does righteous mean? Um, you have a right connection with God and you have a right connection with the people around you. That is what righteousness actually is. Having a right connection, a good connection, a healthy connection with God and with all the people in your life. For, for the people of old, for the people in the Old Testament, for the Jewish people, that is a righteous person. Um, could that be said about you and me? Then he was devout, and that literally means he was, I don't know, spiritually extremely sensitive, receptive. That's what it means. Would people describe you like this? Or me like this? Simeon as a person that is receptive, like few others, to what God is doing, what God is saying. And then Simeon is very interesting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What on earth does that mean? Consolation, that word is the same word that the New Testament uses for the Holy Spirit. You could, you could maybe describe it like this. Simeon, and people would know him for that. Simeon was waiting and expecting and hoping firmly and with full conviction that God would do everything he promised to do that for centuries and millennia they've been waiting for, and he was waiting for that. He was waiting for that. He didn't forget it. He didn't believe it, but not think about it. He was actively all the time waiting for that to happen. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is how he's described. In one sentence, we get the spiritual condition of Simeon. Not his professional condition, not his health condition, not his financial condition, but his spiritual condition. He is, if you want to summarize it, he is connected, connected with God or receptive. So Mary and Joseph, we could learn from them that sometimes you have to walk up, you have to sometimes make an effort to leave distractions behind. But Simeon is already in a place where he has lived his life in a way that this is how he's described. That's the person that is receptive, that is connected, that is devout, that is sensitive to the spirit, that has a right relationship with the people around him. And the thing is, when we read our Bible carefully, that could be said and can be said about every one of us. Why? Probably as I've been describing Simeon, you, some of you maybe thought, well, that's one of these saints, 
never me. But then, I don't know if anybody of you has their Bible with them, and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, that Jesus is our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption and our wisdom. So all these things that Simeon is actually known for, we have those in Jesus. And whereas the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant was at particular times given to a very few particular people for very particular purposes, sometimes only very particular situations, now we live in the age of the New Covenant and God's Spirit is poured out on all those who believe in Jesus. So every one of us, for every one of us, it's true that the Holy Spirit is upon us. For every one of us, it is true that we have actually a right relationship with God through Jesus. And that means um, all we have to do is lean in into that. Lean in into the, the possibility and expecting that because we are connected with God, God actually wants to speak to us. Maybe this is now a very special event, but then again, the testimonies that we've been hearing today, when I hear testimonies so many times, normal people like you and me describe just that, that God through the Spirit is giving them this little nudge to do this thing or to pray for that thing or to go to that person, and then things happen, and it's the same God. So ways of encountering God, sometimes you have to go up, sometimes you just have to remember that the Holy Spirit is poured out on us and that we should have this expectation that God wants to speak to us. But then Simon is doing, Simeon is doing something else. He's not only connected, he is not only receptive, it says, that's the third thing, that he follows the lead of the Spirit. It says in verse 27, he came into the temple in the Spirit. I paused as I was reading that and I wrote on my paper, in what spirit am I usually coming to church? In what spirit are you coming to church, to home group? In what spirit are you usually opening your Bible when you open it? But I could also ask, in what spirit are you tomorrow going to work? In what spirit will you be when you tomorrow have the first conversation with a work colleague? Or maybe with someone at the university? Or if you're at home, in what spirit will you have the first conversation with your spouse, with your children? What struck me that Simeon did not have to go to the temple to encounter God. He did not have to go to the temple to be in the spirit. He was already led by the Spirit as he arrived. He was ready. And again, you know, it's never about special places or temples or sanctuaries, but again, how are you coming, for example, to a Sunday? Um, this morning in the service in the, in the central church, everything seemed to break what can break or not work before a service. You know, sound was running fine until half an hour before the service, then everything went black and everything died down and then uh, this didn't work and this didn't work. And I realized all of a sudden there was this, this uh, hassle of people running around and actually people getting angry. Why is this again not working? And then it's 11 o'clock and then you stop the service and I was wondering, in what spirit are we doing that? 
In what spirit? Um, do we come with the expectation that if the worship is good enough or the speaker is good enough or there's a good enough testimony that maybe that gets us into a better space? Simeon was operating differently. Simeon was living with the Spirit. He was living with God. He was connected with God. So as he was coming to the temple, as the Spirit was leading him to the temple, he was coming in the Spirit already. He didn't have to prepare. But following the lead of the Spirit, and this can happen to all of us, we should expect that, that, you know, be it at work tomorrow, that, that sometimes you sense, and sometimes, very oftentimes, I'm not sure, is that the Spirit or is it just me? That sometimes you sense that maybe, you know, that person over there, could you go there? Could you talk to them? Could you do something? And then again, we might realize there's things happening. But then, again, lead of the Spirit, that sounds very nice, that sounds good, and, and we might want to desire it, but we should watch out, because the words Simeon has to Jesus' parents are challenging. In a way, Simeon says, well, this child, this is the Savior, this is the light to the nations, and this child, that will be the glory for Israel, the glory of Israel. Why? Because this child is the fulfillment of all the promises that are given to that people, and therefore, this child is the glory of Israel. Great. If that is always the result of being led by the Spirit, give it to me. <laughs> I want to do it. But then Simeon turns to Mary, and there's another, another half to the prophecy. This other half to this prophecy is, since everything is about Jesus, since He is the center, whenever we speak about encountering God, we speak about encountering Jesus. When we invite people onto Alpha, we invite them to meet Jesus. When we come together on a Sunday, we come together in the name of Jesus. When we meet for a community group, we expect that Jesus is among us. When you alone open your Bible, Jesus is speaking to you through the Spirit. It's always about Jesus. But Simeon makes the point that not everybody will receive Jesus. He is a sign that will be resisted. Not everybody is following him. Others oppose him. And, you know, sometimes we're confused. We think, I thought, I thought, Jesus, I thought you wanted me to do that. Holy Spirit, I, th I thought... You wanted me to say that, or you wanted me to do that. Why is that other person reacting so much against me and sometimes against faith? Why is it that some people are violently against Jesus, against God, against anything that has to do with church? Isn't that a contradiction that we're following the lead of the Spirit? Not at all. That's something to be prepared for. As the Spirit leads us, He leads us to make Jesus great to make him known uh, with our deeds, with our words, with our actions, just with us being present as he is among us. But again, whereas others are blessed, others respond to that positively, others might not. So following the lead of the Spirit can always lead into both situations. And in a way, I'm so glad that Simeon did not only have this prophecy, but that Luke managed to record it, you know, to listen to it and, and put it here, so that even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, until this day, we know that wherever we, we follow the lead of the Spirit, that might have both, both results. There's the light of salvation, and then there's those who resist it.
But then finally, and briefly, and there's this fourth person, Anna. Again, we don't know much about her. We do know her age. She's very old. We, we know that she's a widow. But again, in one sentence, she is described to us as a person that does not depart, did not depart from the temple, was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And then she is in this very same moment drawn to this couple where already Simeon is prophesying and he's going there. She gives thanks to God. She knows what is happening here and, and praises God as a result of that. But then it says she did not depart from the temple. Um, this is, of course, again, in the Old Covenant. This is among the people of Israel. They were always thinking of the temple as the place where you encounter God. If you encounter God, you have to go to the temple. And if you want to do that regularly, move to Jerusalem. We don't have to do that. We don't even have to come to church or to this parish hall to encounter God. But I think what we can do, or what we are called to do, actually, just as much as Anna is, how does it say, to not depart from Jesus, to not depart from the presence of God. Worshiping with fasting, some of us do that, and praying night and day, what does it mean? I don't think it means that even back then, Anna was singing 24 hours a day, worship songs. I don't think that this is what it means. And it certainly doesn't mean for us to 24 hours a day sing worship songs that would probably be distractive and not good for us and not good for the people around us. But living a life of devotion, living a life where every moment, everything we do is, is dedicated to the Lord. I think that is the invitation. That is one way how we encounter Jesus. Not by just waiting until next Sunday or next community group or next prayer meeting or not even having to wait until the next time that we open the Bible. But to dedicate everything we do. This is where, if I look at these four things, I think I can grow most. To take every single thing I do and deciding to do it as an act dedicated to the Lord. Maybe my actions would be a bit better thought through or my words or what I'm doing. But so we have these four people who all in their different ways make an effort or live lives that reflect the desire to encounter Jesus, to encounter God, to encounter the presence of God all the time. And I think that is the invitation for us. And as I said, since we have the Holy Spirit, nothing stops us from doing that. So maybe this is nothing but a reminder. When you leave here, you're not leaving the presence of God. When you get up tomorrow morning, you're not away from the presence of God. When you go to work, you're not leaving the presence of God that you had at home at your breakfast table with your Bible in your hand. God is walking with you. The Holy Spirit is on you. You're righteous in Jesus. And you can just as much every moment be receptive to what he is saying. And that is actually what he would like us to be like and to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in giving your life as a sacrifice, as a one and only high priest, as it says, you, you not only freed us from everything and anything that separated us from you and from the Father, but you enabled us to be, be your children, walk as your disciples, 
and receive your Holy Spirit, whom you have poured out into our hearts. And that means that like Simeon, like Anna, like Mary and Joseph, we are able all the time to spend lives in your presence. And Lord, we are sorry that so easily we are distracted, so easily you forget this, so easily we, we, we act and live and speak as if that wasn't the case. So Holy Spirit, all we ask you is that you would um, constantly remind us of your presence. Allow us to hear your voice. Allow us to, to hear and see how you're guiding us. And, and open our eyes to see that everything we do, every moment, every person we are speaking to, when we are alone, wherever we are, it's a moment that we can live in devotion to you because you are already living to us. This is has nothing to do with works we do, but you want us to live lives that, that worship you, that are devoted, dedicated to you. And these lives are like landing strips for your Holy Spirit to constantly speak into our lives, to lead us, to guide us, so that we serve you with, with all we have. Lord, would you work in our lives this week and even next Sunday when we come together again, would we be able to share some testimonies with each other of how we've seen you work in our lives and the lives of others and all the glory we will always give to you. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the Sunday service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi.